The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to the book of Ephesians. Um, I don't know how you feel about the first day of a book study at Westway Christian Church, um, but I really like it. Whenever we, uh, whenever we have the first day of a book study, we use our time during the 1015 to read through the entire book. Um, and as you're opening to the book of Ephesians, I want to read to you another text. This is from Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was, happened to be a pastor at the church of Ephesus. So as you're turning to the book of Ephesians, uh, listen to what Paul told Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God. And he's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, God uses scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What Paul's doing is he's reminding this younger pastor named Timothy that all scripture, all of it, Every word, the Greek word um, for all means something amazing. It means all. For all scripture is God breathed, has tremendous value to those who would call themselves Christians. Reading through an entire book of the Bible might seem a little out of the box for some of us, and maybe even a little bit risky. And maybe when you found out today that that's what we are going to do, if you found out earlier, Maybe your question was, is that all we're going to do? Is that all we're going to do is hear Scripture read over us? And I think whether you have a church background or not, I do believe that's a valid question. So why do we, why do, we do this? Why is all we do on a day like today read an entire book of the Bible together? There's a recent article entitled, Have Bible Quoters Replaced Bible Readers? This is by author uh, Russell Moore, and I'm going to share a little bit about his article. He says this, You probably share my angst about biblical illiteracy. I think we sometimes assume, though, that this illiteracy is simply a problem in the broadest sweep of cultural Christianity. It is there to be sure That's why Christian bookstores, or their digital equivalents, don't sell many books on the meaning of justification from Galatians, but sell tons of books with diet tips from Ezekiel or channeled messages from heaven. He goes on to to talk about the way many Christians appear to read their Bibles, and he calls this short text out of context. Short text, I just read one little verse that I completely pluck out of everything else that's going around it. And he says this, he continues, They have, they, us, Christians, who read the Bible short text out of context. He says, We have the capacity to recall a relevant biblical text in support of a particular doctrinal point or in opposition to a hot spot in the cultural wars or in hope of emotional support when times get tough. They, we, many Christians, approach the Bible as a sort of reference book, a collection of useful God quotes that can be looked up up as one would locate words in a dictionary 
or an entry in an encyclopedia. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but I know that I often read the Bible in that same way. I need quick, I need a verse. I need something to help me get through today. And Russell Moore continues, What they're not trained to do is to read a biblical book from beginning to end, to trace its narrative arc, to discern its main themes, and to wonder how it shapes our faith lives today. So at Westway Christian Church, we read entire sections and entire chapters and entire books because we want to train you to read a biblical book from the beginning to the end. We want to train you in how to do that. We read entire sections and chapters and, yes, even books of the Bible because we want you, we want you to know how to, how to read its narrative arc. Like, how does, how does this book flow? And I know this sounds like English class, but that's really what is actually taking place. Is so we can understand what's going on in the Bible. We read entire sections, chapters, and even books because we want to train you. We want to train you. We want to train you to discern and discover the main themes in the Bible. Which is why every week when we begin our message time together, we ask you to turn to the, the book of the Bible or the section of the Bible with us because we actually believe that, that you know how to read the Bible. We actually believe that you can read the Bible and you can discover what God is saying to you. That you don't necessarily need someone to read it for you and interpret it for you. We want to teach you and train you in how to do that. And we read entire sections and chapters and even books because we want to train you how to wonder how this book shapes our lives today. And for some of you, and maybe even many of you, when we do these, these kinds of exercises a few times a year, it's possible that this is the only time in your entire life where you've heard an entire book of the Bible read at one time. That was certainly, that was certainly true for my church experience growing up. Did we read from the Bible in the church I attended when I was young? Of course we did. But I know we, I don't recall ever hearing an entire chapter read at one time. I don't recall ever hearing an entire book read at one time. And if you're like me, we're often familiar with individual verses, but we've never heard them in their full context in relation to what's, what's been said before and what's been said after. This is crucial to, for us to really understand what God is saying to us. And, and when we read Scripture, like we normally read Scripture, one little verse, very piecemeal, it can be very easy for us to misunderstand and misinterpret what God is saying for us. And I want to encourage you to do a few things today as, as you hear these six chapters of Ephesians read over you. First one is, I, I want you to follow along with the readers. We have, we have Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. I know many of you have the YouVersion app on your phone. You can, you can find Ephesians in there. And I'm hoping that as, as we read through this together, I'm hoping that you're going to be encouraged. I'm hoping that you're going to be challenged. I'm hoping that maybe even some of you are going to be bothered or confused by what you hear. 
And I would say that I know I don't read enough scripture where I'm bothered and confused by what I hear. My approach to scripture is I'm often looking for something to encourage me. Then what I really need is I need to be bothered and confused. I need to be challenged by what God is saying to me. And as you're following along, I would encourage you to to take notes, make marks, underline and highlight. And I know that not everyone in the room feels comfortable writing in their Bible, and that's okay. If you are one of those, I would encourage you to make notes. And over the next several months, that will help you as we go through this book together. So the flow of today is we're going to read all six chapters of of the book of Ephesians. And then over the next several months through the middle of November, um, each week we're going to take a section from the book of Ephesians. So if you make notes and you do all of those things, it will help you in your own study. And if you're connected to a small group, which I highly recommend you get connected to a small group, that's a great thing to talk about in your small group. I would say 90% of the small group sessions that we have in our house begins with someone asking a question that has absolutely nothing to do with what we were going to talk about that night, but it was from something that they read in the text. And that's how we, that's how we learn and grow. If you have questions about, um, about any of these verses that you hear today, um, we want to we encourage you to, to participate with us, and one of the ways you can do that is by uh, sending a text of that question to three zero seven three one six two zero two three. On Tuesday mornings at eleven fifteen, we do a, a video on our church Facebook page that you don't have to be on. Uh, you can go to our church website a little later, westwaychurch.com, and we post those videos on there. Now, if you saw this week's video. Um, It disappeared for a while on Facebook. We're not really sure uh, what happened with it. We're not going to get all conspiracy theory on what uh, Facebook did with our our, uh, Tuesday Q&A video. Um, And it disappeared for a few days, and then I get a text from uh, from Mike on Thursday morning that just said it's back with a screenshot of, of the video. If you're wondering why we called this series The Wife of Christ... That would be a good video for you to watch to help you understand it. As we prepare ourselves to enter into this story of, of the book of Ephesians, here's a few details and a few reminders about what's, what's going on. You know at the beginning of all of the Star Wars movies how they have that big scroll on the screen that tells you what happened beforehand to kind of remind you of where you're at in the story? We're going to do that a little bit right now. You'll see this outline in your, in your bulletin. Church of Ephesus began when the, Paul, when the Apostle Paul visited Ephesus with at least two other people, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul then left them behind where they encountered a man named Apollos who was faithfully teaching what he knew about Jesus, but he didn't have the full story. So they, they took him aside and they explained Uh, to him who Jesus was, what Jesus expected more fully. Shortly after that, Paul returned to Ephesus where he met 12 people who were believers. And what they, 
how they entered into that relationship as they were baptized into the baptism of John. And he also explained to them a more complete version of the gospel. And then Paul spent time teaching in the synagogue. And when they kicked him out, he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus where he taught for two years. Over a period of time, all of these miracles happened. And there was a huge riot that broke out in Ephesus. This letter, this letter to the church at Ephesus, was written years after that. And that's important for us to understand, is, is, is these things aren't happening so linearly, so tightly compacted. There are many years between each one of these things. And this letter, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, was written to a group of some Jews, but mostly ex-Artemis and ex-Diana worshiping pagans. And their, their worship practices included idol worship and temple priests and temple priestesses and temple prostitution. So, so that's the people that he's writing this letter to. After a brief nearby visit in which Paul encouraged the leaders to guard their doctrine, love, lead, and serve, Paul again left. And Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus from prison which is also important for us to understand. So as you hear this text read over you this morning, and as you follow along, keep some of this background in mind. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read something and we ask the question, what, like, why would Paul say it that way? What, what did Paul mean by this particular sentence? Well, he's writing to people who aren't us. And they would have understood it better than we understand it today. So those are just some things to, to kind of think about as we, as we read through this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then um, we have six people who are going to read for us today. Um, and they're going to come up front and they're going to read up here. So I'm going to pray as we get ready to hear God's word this morning. God, I'm thankful that that we have the opportunity to spend time in your word. This, this reading that we're going to do right now would have been very much like how the first church would have heard it. They would have received this letter from Paul, they would have gathered the body together, and they just would have read it. Help us to, help us to feel the weight of that of that ancient practice. Help us to be encouraged that, that we get to do things like the early church did. Help us to be encouraged by the fact that we have this letter. Help us to be encouraged by the fact that, that the words that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, just like the rest of the Bible, have been changing people's lives for thousands of years. People have made decisions to follow your son Jesus because of letters like this, because of words like this. This is no small thing for us to do. We believe that, that all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by you. We believe that all Scripture is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. We believe that all Scripture corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. 
And God, we believe that you use all scripture to equip and prepare your people, which is us, to do every good work. So we ask that you would receive this as a proclamation of who you are. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself.
Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. 
both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose is all this, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his internal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from this, his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all God, glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish and infinitely more we might ask of him. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, 
It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They lived for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. 
as the church submits to Christ, so, your wives, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them, with, try to please them all the time not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in, his, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So I pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report of what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, 
to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you this week that you spend time reading through this entire book. Uh, I think that took us about 15 to 20 minutes to read through a whole book of the Bible. So it's possible, right? Sometimes we, we read through the Bible and we think, I don't have time for this. I, I don't know how to set up a plan for that. Um, it's 20 minutes. And I would encourage you this week to spend time each day reading through, reading through this book. We're going to break it down over the next several months into, into chapters and sections and spend our time um, together doing that. I don't know what theme came to your mind as you heard that read, but I saw, I saw unity in every, in every chapter, the importance of unity. Unity between believers, unity between believers and God, and unity between one another as believers. So that's going to be a pretty heavy theme throughout this text because that's ultimately what Jesus is out to do. He's out to bring us back into unity with him and bring us back into unity with one another because those are the two things that were damaged when man sinned. When man sinned, we destroyed our relationship with God and we destroyed our relationship with one another. So God is out to to restore both of those things. And he's done that through Jesus. And then Jesus is using the church to not only be a demonstration of that unity, but to bring about the unity of all believers. So that's all we're going to do today for the message is read through through the Bible. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing some songs proclaiming Jesus as Lord through music, and then we're going to proclaim Jesus as Lord through community, and then we're going or through communion, and then we're going to proclaim Jesus as Lord through our through our offerings, and then I hope when when our time is over today, we'll proclaim Jesus as Lord by spending time in relationship with one another in this room and in the lobby together. So let's pray, and then we're going to proclaim through song. Jesus, I am again, I'm so thankful that we have your word. We know it's inspired by you. We know that it's sharper. Paul writes elsewhere that that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate our very being. And I pray, God, that as we heard verses maybe that we hadn't heard before, um, we'll allow that to penetrate into us. That we, would, that we would come back to hear what you have to say. Maybe there were some things that, that piqued our curiosity. Maybe there, was, there were some things that offended us in our 21st century, we know everything. So God, help that, help that to draw us closer to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.